Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show. From YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 446 of Constructed Criticism. Uh, this is it. We're, we're all here. The beep, gang beep. is together. I'm, CC is at full power. This is now full that power. Mason is back and I'm back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is this is full power. I, I don't know. It felt like it full power, but a little behind the scenes. It felt full power while we were recording the segment that people listen to in just a little bit. That's full power. You got Reduke coming on the show today well that's that's turbo boosted you know mm-hmm. this is this is before you inject that liquid nitrogen to really that liquid <laughs> cooling make it so we can operate it overdrive got it got fourth it. gear four do you how many wait what well it's like monkey, D, like monkey d luffy has fourth gear this you know second oh, gear. I, this is an like third. i get it i, get I was it. thinking about a car where i also yeah, no, was I, like that's not a high gear too. mason well well first off <laughs> <laughs> let's relax second <laughs> off true <laughs> but sometimes you need the fourth. like the thing is though the fourth gear is it's needed to get up the tall hills like you need that when the going gets tough and sometimes trying really hard here things get tough and you just need that reduke to come in and clutch up and talk about the pro tour win and improving at magic deck selection etc there we go there we go let's talk about i was improving really quickly i was improving is the point of the show which the thing that we be trying to do right like it, it it is it is a real struggle i think that people don't realize how hard it is to keep this mindset all the time but one of the reasons that we do the show is so that we hold ourselves accountable for the listeners and trying to do that abe you were out last week why don't you go first talk to the listeners about what you've been doing to be always improving so something that uh i've kind of talked about a lot already this year in regards to my always improving has been really like cranking down the screws on my process and trying to like really tighten it all up. And something that um, I was exposed to through work in the last uh, couple of weeks that has really been sticking with me in terms of the goals that I've been setting for myself um, has been um, the smart system for goals. I don't know if either of you ever heard of, of a smart goal. Yeah. It's, but... uh, just really quickly, the Ackerman stands for, uh, the last one's trackable, so it's uh. Oh my gosh, you're gonna uh, now I'm. I it's put specific, on. measurable, um, action bound, reasonable. Uh, no, I might have it wrong, but I think it's attainable, realistic, realistic, yeah. attainable, realistic, and time bound. Time bound. So that's right. I was I had measurable wrong. So when you put it all together, it's the idea that when you're setting goals for yourself, especially. For, in the case where I was exposed to it, it's at work for, you know, setting your performance plans and your development plans um, for yourself and for any members of your team you're helping with them. And for Magic, it's really saying, like, okay, you know, everything is pretty time-bound in Magic 
when it comes to lots of things preparation. Either it's that you're preparing for a specific tournament or um, you know, you have a deck selection deadline or you have, you know, you know how much time it's gonna take you to do something. In my case, it's like I know how much time I have that I'm allocating towards exploring ideas in the format. And then once I've kind of gathered all the information from that, it's moving forward to a decision of, okay, what is it I'm doing with that information into, you know, refining it down to deck selection. Um, but really using that process to make it so that I'm able to have as many goals, not just a checklist of things I want to learn, but understanding and laying out how it is I'm going to do that um, and budgeting my time and allocating it such that, you know, if my goal is, uh, you know, for standard right now is to make sure that I've played, you know, at least 25 matches um, of like reasonable competitive play, you know, either moto leagues or, um, you know, high level arena ranked play of each of the major standard decks I'd consider for the RC at this point, then that's a good goal to be like, okay, I, I want to do that, but without being able to time bind it, without making sure it's reasonable that 25 is the number with how much time it takes, um, it's a lot harder to manage, but using that has really helped me um, kind of put it all into scope and uh, scale the scale and also pare down the goals I have. So I'm not just like saying, okay, these are all the things I want to do in a perfect world. You know, I'm going to try to do them and then fall short. I'm able to really spend more time on honing in on things that are most important to the results that I want. And so that's been uh, miles improving this week. That's awesome. I think it's funny that we've mentioned smart goals and, and objectives and key results on this podcast, like in the last few months, uh, really going to show like the, uh, the, the kind of that thing that Abe, you are going to talk to read about, but like using the things that we've learned across everything in order to del deliver us the outcomes that we want in magic um, smart goals is actually mentioned in the creation of objectives and key results as like uh, smart. So and the reason I'm going to bring this up is like uh, smart goals are really good for when you're trying to have something that is quantifiable. Right. Um, and so, you know, in magic uh, the, what, what the goals that you're talking about here are these very solidified, clear cut things um, which is very different than like, using smart goals for like tournament results, right? Cause that's, that's a little bit more nebulous. So I really like the way that you framed it. Just wanted to call out that you did a good job of identifying the type of the use of like, sorry, let me say this differently. You did a really good job of using the right tool for the right situation and not trying to force the tool into the wrong spot. Thank you. Appreciate it, Spencer. Mason, what about you? What have you been doing to be always improving? Uh, just I'm getting into like the whole new routine of doing coaching all the time and having, you know, like I am sort of in charge of my own hours and I can be doing magic stuff whenever. And I'm doing magic stuff for like, you know, on average, like six hours a day already and making sure that I'm not burning out. And my that's been my big improvement moment is like it is important that I take time to do things that aren't magic, you know, um, and I think it was really helpful for me. I went and played RC this past weekend and won. And I was really tempted to like go play a moto league with my deck, like after I'd finished everything on Friday. And I had just worked for like basically eight hours already. And I was really tired and I had been really drained from doing everything and getting into this new swing of things and getting to move. And I was just like, no, actually, I know my deck. This one league won't matter. Instead, I'm going to spend just 20 minutes thinking about my sideboard plans called even there, not to waste two hours. And I'm just going to go watch some blue lock instead and just chill. And uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I think is really important to do. And it's really easy 
it's sorry, it's uh, a lot easier to do when like your job isn't so tied to this. But then once you know you have a sort of unlimited time where you can put as much in as you want, it's really easy just to continuously pour into it. And it just wasn't uh, worth it. Kind of like the cost benefit you get out of it, you know, is so much more the early on it is, but so much worse as things go on, right? Like the first piece of candy tastes really good. The hundredth one is like, oh, my stomach. Yeah, I, I really should take that to heart because this weekend after doing coverage, I went home and immediately fired up Arena and I wish that I hadn't. I wish I had mm -hmm. done like anything else. So, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, you work, I, it's like the same, right? Like you work 16 hours in magic and then mm. it, I almost felt like it was a waste of my time to be doing like the modern stuff, but like, that's not true. Uh, I am, I am putting my own pressure on myself saying that I need a practice standard for the RC, uh, but it doesn't have to be right now. Right. And I think that mm -hmm. that's a trap that I fall into a lot and I should take your advice there. Yeah. It's poggers. Also, I'm just winning every time I do it. So like. Obviously, you're going to win when you do it. So then you'll win, <laughs> and then we'll perpetuate it. Uh, so for me, this week, uh, Always Improving was uh, kind of similar to Abe's in that trying to identify, like, how I want to be using my time coming up to this regional championship in San Diego. Um, and, you know, so much of my time in Magic is split between different things. You know, uh, you know I'm doing coverage about once a month. Um, I'm doing... Magic coaching about two to three times a week. Um, and, you know, having a dad of two kids and being like, okay, how am I going to fit in the time that I need to, to feel like I'm putting my best foot forward for this regional championship. And so one of the, one of the things that I've been doing is like, oh, and then also obviously podcasting. Um, so one of the things that I've been doing is like when presented with opportunities to play magic, I'm picking to play standard and uh, it sounds like silly. Like obviously you've got a standard tournament coming up. Why wouldn't you do that? But like, I, I love, I have modern RCQs. Like that's what we have in Utah. So picking to play standard means that I'm not playing modern. Um, and it, I, I think that it's kind of this identification of what's important to me right now. Right. Rather than, um, I'll say it this way in my work, one of the things that in a job interview, uh, part of my job is typically prioritizing the work that needs to be done to get the software built. That's like my job. And when asked the question of how do I prioritize, um, one of the key things is you need to be doing the most important thing next. Like that means that you can throw everything else out, all the commitments that you've made. If the most important thing is X, you should be doing X. And I'm trying to do that in Magic right now. Yeah, I think that's, like, really important. Understanding the priorities, especially when you're functioning on, like, limited time or, you know, I mean, just in general when it comes to structuring your time, which is something I've been, you know, reflecting on a lot recently. Um, it is just so important, even to Mason's point of, like, structuring your time such that you can make time, right, instead of spending two hours playing a league to like get more match experience and get more reps and feel more comfortable that way, you were able to get a similar functioning amount of comfort out of, okay, I'm just going to spend the time thinking about my sideboard plans. And then I'm going to go decompress and do something for myself because I've been playing magic or engaging with magic for eight hours today. And like the knowledge that that is your priority of like, I'm going to function better and feel better for this tournament because I'm doing that, you know, that's, 
that's just as important a priority as being like, okay, I have this time, right? I only have, you know, an hour tonight where I'm going to be able to spend any time on standard or on magic in general. I could draft and do like a, I could do a rank draft of uh, Phyrexia or. Hey, three of them in an hour. Come on, man. <laughs> have you seen that for Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're really flying through them, yeah, you can, you can rip up a few drafts or, you know, you can sit down, pick a deck that you want to make sure you understand better in standard, think about the format you know, get experience in it and do that. And making the intentional choice to do that with your priorities is really important. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, no, no Patreon shows this week, but if you want to support the show directly, head on over to patreon.com slash ccmg. $5 gets you into the Discord. $10 gets you free entry into our uh, quarterly event. Um, I do believe that we have a sponsor for that. I just got to cross our I's and button our T's. I don't know how they set up. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty exciting. And then if you want to sponsor this podcast, uh, you want to hear Mason talk really nice about you in his sweet, sweet Mason voice. If you want to make Abe Stein's smile come out, uh, yeah, there it is. Oh man, I missed it. I missed you last week, Abe. Uh, you know, let, just hit me up at spencerhowland.gmail.com or you can just message the show directly on Twitter or on Facebook. Um, we are pretty picky. Uh, when it comes to sponsors, we want to, we want people that sponsor the show to get something out of it, but we also want our listeners to we want to really be able to support it. Um, we told the story not that long ago about turning down sponsors, and uh, I actually had to do that this week. I haven't told these guys, but we got another one of those like do this like sketchy thing and we'll sponsor your show. I'm like no, 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 no. So, uh, but another way to support the show directly is actually to rep it. Head on over to the swag store, just at constructorism.com, uh, and you can have a sweet CCMTG hoodie or shirt or desk mat like Abe wants. Uh, pretty awesome. Is your is you, Do you need a new desk when you move, Abe, uh, Mason? Uh, no, I think I'm good, actually. Okay. I think the place I'm moving to have the desk. Why? What's up? No, I just I just realized that you're... Isn't the desk that you're on, like, massive? Uh, it's pretty big. Yeah. It's like a... This... It's, oh, but yeah, it's like big. oak or something too. It's like like a mm-hmm. old, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is an oldie, an oldie but a goodie. An oldie but a goodie. Speaking of goodies, let's go. Let's jump over and listen to us talk to your boy, your pro tour champion, the champion of the people, really, Reduke. And we're here joined by pro tour champion Reduke. Reed, how's it going? It's going good. I, you know, I, I haven't gotten sick of that introduction yet. So thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show. How long, how long are you, do you, are you introduced as pro tour champion? Is it just until the next pro tour champion happens? Uh, great question. I mean, there's, there's gotta be some grace period where it's like, okay, you know, that's where people are sick of that now. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, I have won a pro tour and that will be true until, until the end of time now. So. There's that. It, 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 it's. I think the the correct answer is it's when you win worlds and then your world champion reduke. Yeah. Yep. So I got to do something. I got to get a step higher to in order to uh, cancel it out. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Allenbogen called himself the last Pro Tour champion for like four years. So I think mm-hmm. you can do it for like six months at least. So mm-hmm. okay, it works out. Yeah. Well, Reed, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I want to. I just first of all, I just want to say congrats. Uh, I got to listen to your Humans of Magic podcast and. You know, I think that uh, I, 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 this is a little bit anecdotal, but like, it seemed like you were the most cheered for person in the history of magic for 
like a couple hours there, uh, people really wanted you to win. Like that, I've I have not seen the community come together for somebody to win an event like that, uh, maybe ever. Yeah, I mean, thank you for saying that, and and I don't know if that's true in a literal sense, but I will say that like I've just been totally overwhelmed by the number of people you know saying they were they were rooting for me and that they were happy to see me win and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of speechless. Just I'm so so grateful to have that level of support and. I was already excited to begin with about the return of the Pro Tour and everyone getting together to have fun, you know, playing competitive magic. And if uh, if we can, if I could be part of getting that off on a good note, then that's that's even better. Yeah, what, let's talk about the event. Um, you know, we you kind of you kind of talked about this already, but like it was the first Pro Tour, Pro Tour quote unquote, uh, in a while, and especially in paper. Um, what did it kind of mean to have Paper Magic back for you? It's amazing. It's sort of, I sort of like, we were frozen in time and I was to some extent just waiting for it to happen. Um, not just on a personal, not just, just as a player, but also just as a fan of Magic. It's like, I really cherish that structure and the continuity between players who played in different eras and players who played, you know, at, at different, uh, you know, all across the world. And the pro tour is the one thing that everyone has in common as, as loving and um, being able to represent the highest level of the game in, in, in a way that's, that's so uh, valuable for so many people. Yeah. I mean, Mason, you talked about this, um, few episodes back where you talked about you know having your first pro tour not feeling like a pro tour um did you have that same like did this one feel like the pro tour yeah i mean it's hard to know because this is my first paper pro tour but it definitely the, the vibe and the experience was way different than like playing the online ones and you know i've had friends who have played pro tours and stuff like that and I, i've been to the ones that were local to me uh and had that sort of experience and definitely felt that way and definitely was very exciting and very just like a very fun experience you know i mentioned a little bit on last week's show but the, the vibe and everything was just really different. It was just really cool to like, everyone worked really hard to get here. Everyone really wants this and have that like hunger and everyone, everyone wants to be where Reed ended up, right? And like that sort of vibe camaraderie and like trying to be improved and be the best at something is like a really cool sort of thing. And everyone has like a lot of mutual respect and a lot of, you know, same goals and admiration. It's just, it's just a great experience all in all. So yeah, I I'll just echo that. Like sit, I remember sitting down for my first Pro Tour draft and like, you look across the room, right? And you see Reed Duke, you see LSV, you see PV. And like, these are the people that you wanted to compete against at this level for so long. And uh, I got to ask Reed, did it, did that feeling, does that feeling stay? Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I sort of have uh, um, this, this thing that, you know, I, I worked so hard to get to my first pro tour and when I finally got there, I did really, really badly. I started out 0 and 6 in my first pro tour. And it, you know, like most people just kind of automatically check the the drop box at that point, you know, because they don't want to play anymore if they can't make day two. But for me, it was like, dude, I've worked so hard to be here. I am gonna squeeze like every bit of enjoyment and experience out of every round that i get to play at the pro tour 
And I still feel that way. It's like there's so many people that that would kill to be here. So for me to to not make the most of it, it's almost like you know I'm 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 doing them a disservice. You know, so so I, I still I still really value that I get one of those 300 slots to to play at the Pro Tour. That's awesome. You actually gave that advice to former co-host of the show at the Pro Tour. Um, you he was sitting next to you, uh, and you actually told that exact same thing to him. Uh, helping him go from uh, lock up a four four to day two, so that's really funny that you told that story again. Uh, so I want to I want to ask you kind of who you got the chance to work with this time around. Yeah, so we we put together a team, and it was some you know old school guys that I'd worked with in the past, but also a new roster with some new players who, who um, I'd met in the the play from home era, um, but. It was the the core of the team. Uh, listeners might be familiar with like that crew who did really really well at Worlds with the Mono Blue Spirits deck. So, Eli Cassis, Jim Davis, Jakob Toth, Mike Sigrist. Then there were um, some of the old people from like the team we used to call the Pantheon, uh, Gabriel Nassif and me, and we had like uh, Kai. Kai Buddha and John Finkel didn't play the Pro Tour, but they were like in the Discord with us and stuff like that. And maybe, you know, maybe they'll play later in the year or something like that. But and then, you know, we 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 just piecemealed and recruited who who the people who wanted to play with us and that we thought were were bringing some good stuff to the team. And yeah, we ended up with I think a great squad and we had a really good team dynamic. The real casual John Finkel and Kai Buddha were in the Discord helping us. <laughs> I mean, uh, does John live in Philadelphia? He does, yeah. So I, I was like, just trying to work on him. I'm like, come on, you get to walk to the pro tour. <laughs> and the thing, you know, John's thing is he really, he loves magic. He loves drafting, but it's kind of like a, a headache for him to go from from zero to like getting to a point in a constructed format where he feels like he can compete at his best. It's like he, you know, he doesn't even know the cards that have been printed in in, in the in the last year or two. So I was trying to encourage him, but it ended up he had a conflict and he couldn't play anyway. But um, hopefully I can get him out for for a future Pro Tour. Talk to me kind of like, what was the starting point that, I know that you had said on uh, other shows that you've been on that kind of Mike Sears was kind of like the leader this time around. What was kind of the, the starting point for the testing process? So, you know, we, we knew that we were going to be playing Pioneer pretty far in advance. And even though there was a new set, Pioneer didn't, you know, a couple new cards came out, but it was it was structurally the same as it had been, had been. So, everyone had their background, the decks that they played in the regional championship, what they were grinding with in the Magic Online leagues. Um, so, we already had a bit of a picture of what Pioneer was going to look like when we showed up to the house. And yeah, Mike Sigrist, I would say he he played the most. He's like, I tried a lot of different things, and this is the deck I like, the Indomitable Creativity deck, and and. We, uh, we valued that input for sure. So he came with that being his top choice already. It wasn't it wasn't like later on in the process he came saying that. No, yeah, he he, he liked that uh, at the start. He wasn't necessarily set in stone, but it was kind of like this is this is my favorite deck, and unless something happens to change that, unless somebody can you know <laughs> beat it out of me, then uh, then this is what I'm going to play. And, Turns out nobody could beat it out of him, and he, he continued to perform well, and it just was a really good deck. 
So were there were there other decks, Reed, that you personally were considering? You kind of had mentioned at the Pro Tour that this wouldn't typically be your first choice type of deck. So I'm kind of curious, like, did Mike beat this deck into you, and or was like, how did what were the other decks you were considering, or maybe the team was? Um, okay, well, I'll start with the decks that my team registered. I believe it was like about ten of us on creativity. About three of us played Rakdos Sack, and then Ben Lundquist um, went with Orzov Oros, uh, and they were all, you know, all good decks. I think respectable choices. Then at various other points, I was considering uh, Mono Blue Spirits is what I had played at, at regionals. I really liked that deck, but it wasn't necessarily shaping up to be a great choice against like a bunch of White Weenie and Gruul and Rakdos. Um, I like Rakdos. I, you know, at any point, I, I was like, all right, if I just have to default to stock, you know, seventy-five card Rakdos, that will be totally fine. Um, and then I'd also done pretty well with Gruul, and Gruul is maybe one of the one of the established decks that improved the most with uh, with Phyrexia All Be One, Copperline Gorge, and Miglaw's Maze Crusher, stuff like that. Yeah, I have oh, a question. And sorry, Lotus Field too. <laughs> I almost forgot. That was the one I was gonna play until like literally the day before uh or the day of deck submission. Yeah, so I was actually gonna ask you a little bit about that and so maybe you can expand on this because I think for a lot of players, you know, in the real world, and I, I think even Siggy made this joke when I was talking to him at the Pro Tour about it, but he was saying, like, yeah, we're playing month and a half old creativity. Love it. You know, like <laughs> no new cards, nothing changed, it's the same challenge result. Uh, that, you know, was put up uh, originally, uh, actually from the testing team, from Benton and them. Uh, and so what kind of got you on that? Because, you know, the, in the quote-unquote real world, you know, players had sort of moved away from it. What sort of got you going back into playing that and over a deck like Lotus Field, which had been doing really well and was sort of the known combo deck, you know? It's a great question. It's actually really funny because, um, you know, the the Friday morning where we show up to the Pro Tour, we're getting ready to go. Uh, or maybe it was the, the day before, but in either case, after deck submission, Frank Karsten publishes the metagame breakdown, and he describes all the decks and stuff like that. Um, and you don't know who's playing what yet, but he gets to Indomitable Creativity, and he's like, yeah, I was surprised that a big team went with Creativity, given that it did pretty badly in the regional championship and got no new cards. So, <laughs> so I read that, and I'm like, ooh, like, I'm kind of feeling stupid right now. Like, Is, is, that, is that really... Um, what, what we went wound up doing here and it, it was but there's this phenomenon in magic where like sometimes a good deck just it's just not getting attention you know it's there's nothing wrong with it it's not suddenly you know somebody flipped a switch and it, it's bad and it can't win it's just it's not in the limelight people aren't talking about it the streamers aren't playing it whatever um but yeah creativity i think Look, it's nothing special. We didn't we didn't break the format or anything. It's just one of many good decks in in Pioneer, but it had a lot of the intangible qualities that we liked, and uh, we thought that Gruul was going to be kind of a, a well represented deck, uh, and, and and creativity was you know one of the things that we found that had the best best matchup against Gruul. So there were, there were a lot of little things going on. I got so Can I ask? Oh, go ahead. Can you speak to those intangible qualities a bit? Like when you say like the deck had the intangible qualities that you liked, you know, is that can you can you make them a little more tangible? Totally, yeah. So um, 
there's kind of like two things that I like in a deck choice that are at total opposite ends of the spectrum. One is I like to feel that I have some control over the way the game is going, maybe have some consistency, some card selection, and feel like things are not going to be just purely decided based on my opening hand. And then the other end of the spectrum is I don't like to play a super, super reactive, like blue-white control deck with no win conditions. Unless it's really good, um, unless it's like uniquely good, I don't like to play a deck like that. Didn't you and, and Huey, the reason is didn't you and Huey registered like a, <laughs> a literal blue white control deck with no win conditions once. Yeah, I have done that before. <laughs> but I was <laughs> I was sharper back then. I played faster. You know, it was uh, it was it was different different era. Uh, but no, to your point, like I, I will play any deck uh, if it's if I think it's like actually like head and shoulders above um the rest of the choices so i played no no win conditions blue white control before i played boggles before mono red or whatever um but the the thing that i do look for in a pro tour deck choice especially is a strong proactive game plan so instead of having to dismantle every opponent and really really work for every single win the ability to just once in a while be like you know what shields down combo attack you for 30 and get an easy win like that those kind of add up over the course of a long event and if you if you don't give yourself any easy wins you have a really tough road ahead of you in terms of beating these great players uh navigating a diverse field of, of a lot of different decks and you know finishing matches in time but i felt that creativity had the best of both worlds where it's like i have these control elements and the card selection but then also the the combo finish so it's it's funny the way you just described this deck uh, is how I describe the rules of engagement for modern when it comes mm -hmm. to playing modern in a lot of ways where like you have to both have B plans and uh, you have to have a proactive game plan in some degree that like actually allows you to just win games of magic. Um, otherwise, you're not operating on the same level as anyone else. Do you think Pioneer has similar rules of engagement? I do, yeah. I think Pioneer, especially like mapping out what I thought the field was going to look like, I kind of just felt like, look, I want something that's strong and proactive, and I just want to be in my lane and 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 execute. Um, you know, so whether that be like White Weenie or Lotus Field or Creativity or Mono Green, just something that I'm working towards, like a really really powerful, uh, proactive game plan how what what did take you off of you know things like lotus field and onto this like was was it mike was it was it the things that, the the intangibles that you talked about like what was the actual final straw final straw was i played a set against gruel lotus field against gruel and uh it didn't feel good it was like the gruel deck could just was like comparable speed just by attacking and dealing 20 damage and then after they'd bring in Damping Spheres, it really felt like it was a pretty dicey matchup. So between two combo decks where one I felt really good against Gruel and one I felt not so good against Gruel is, you know, just go with creativity. And then also it's when nine really smart people in the room are all playing creativity, you kind of like have to be very sure of yourself to, to play a different deck. And I, I wasn't quite at that level of uh, surety confidence. That's fair. Uh, talk to me really quickly about like what are the things that if somebody's going to pick up this deck, uh, what are the things that they should know? What are the things that they should consider? 
So the um, the one thing that's like unintuitive that's different about this deck compared to other decks is the risk of drawing the combo. So there's what I always refer to as the reverse one-outer, where it's like you take all these great pains, you set up, you're about to kill them, shields are down, you got your spell pierce back up, but then it's like, oh, I've drawn World Spine Worm. Now uh, it's your turn, <laughs> you know, and you can't do anything. Um, so you, you should get in the habit of taking steps that reduce that risk, like, you know, not necessarily drawing frivolous cards if you already have the combo rolled up, ready to go, or uh, hanging on to a Fire Prophecy or a Valakut Awakening just in case something bad happens. Uh, so World Spine Worm, you can discard and reshuffle into your deck, but if you draw the Xenagos, it's actually can be can be pretty tricky. You could just cast it. I mean, you, I think I watched <laughs> you cast that card at least twice. Yeah, I, that 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 can happen definitely. Um, and sometimes you do get in these weird, scrappy games where like they stop your combo, and then you have to you have to like kind of piecemeal it together. Um, but Having to take two full turns to combo by casting the Xenagos is, you know, some some games you don't have the, the time to do that. It's actually something that is really common in the modern format when it comes to that version of creativity, where a lot of the games actually do come down to, like, beating down with 2-2s two and, like, you know, 1-1s one and, like, finagling the game as the control deck with, like, little beaters. Um, you know, between Shark Typhoon and Fable, how often were those type of games happening for you this weekend? Um... Reasonably often, especially after sideboarding, because people have to respect the combo, right? Like, they have to not put the shields down, they have to have in all their sideboard cards to deal with it. So then, when they are expending their resources worrying about that, you know, when, when you can chip in with shark tokens and, and goblin shamans, that's actually a real threat. And um, one thing that's pretty cool about the deck is, is the creature lands. Those things add up a lot um a match of like lotus field for instance where it's pretty non-interactive and you want to just be really play really carefully and, and have your your counters up at all times sometimes just like you get a goblin shaman and a muta vault and you just attack them you know for four or five turns in a row and that's how you win the game uh, one of the things that was made a pretty big deal of during this event was actually your team sideboard plan. How did that both impact the deck? And uh, I, I got to ask about the blue-white control thing that you said on the other podcast about, like, what mm. was your sideboard plan in that matchup? Yeah, so if you play against another blue deck uh, where everyone wants to just sit on counter spells and never tap out and never leave themselves vulnerable to the combo, you bring in, like, pretty much your whole sideboard, which is... All of your own counter spells and up to four shark typhoons and and two holebreaker horrors which is cool because if they tap out you can still totally cast indomitable creativity whether it be for one or for two you put those holebreaker horrors onto the battlefield you're probably going to win but also if if both players play draw go then you just win with the uncounterable flash threat so it's really big in the mirror match. It's really big against blue white control, um, and then you have them. You have access to them if if you need them in in other spots too. Awesome. Uh, 
is it was was it a joke or was your game plan actually to lose game one as fast as possible against blue white oh yeah no that that was my strategy i was like i'm gonna lose most of these games so i would rather just lose and still have 35 or 40 minutes on the clock to play the sideboarded games instead of like if you if you get yourself into trouble where like you're kind of fighting this hopeless battle and then you inevitably lose on turn on turn 18 then you don't even have time to finish the games that you were actually like preparing for and looking forward to that's that's an easy trap to fall into so it's just a general like tournament strategy thing that yeah like there's no point sideboarding for a matchup where game one's going to take 40 minutes you just don't get to play the sideboarded games so avoid that if your plan is to win the sideboarded games then make sure you can win the sideboarded games um it's not so bad that it's like i'm going to concede before the cards are drawn but it's more just like i'm going to play out my cards take my one shot and if they have the answer so be it We'll shuffle up and go to a game where I have I have more weapons to actually take the game where I want it to go. Is there any other pieces of the sideboard that you really liked out of this deck? Um. <clears throat> so yeah, the, sort of the transformative aspect of the Holebreaker horrors and the Shark Typhoons that's interesting. Red has a lot of good sideboard cards uh, for a variety of matchups, like the Rending Volleys when you go play against white creature decks or spirits. Um. There were some other interesting ones that we considered. If you if if you want to spend some time yeah, getting to those, I'd love to hear that. Um, so there's like other targets that you could put into play with indomitable creativity. Um, one of them is Atraxa, which is kind of appealing if you ever have to play a matchup where you're creativity for one. That's probably the single best thing you could you could put on the battlefield. We talked about um, Sire of Insanity against combo decks. Which is kind of a cool one because you could just cast that off of treasures too, and I do value that um, is quality that the red sometimes. Black one? Yeah, it makes everyone discard their hands. That's that's gas. <laughs> uh, and then there are a few other you know non-creature cards. We had Brotherhood's End as the final uh, card that we cut because I was thinking like, oh, the white weenie decks they're going to have four Dauntless Bodyguard and four Brave the Elements, so. Uh, a damage-based sweeper is not even that good. Then it turns out the White Weedy decks were moving away from those cards. So if people don't have Brave the Elements, you probably do want some some number of, of damage-based board, board sweepers um, moving forward. You could do something, you know, techie against Rakdos. I saw some, some folks playing um, Blue Sun's Twilight, which is like, lets you answer Shouldred. You can cast it for two mana against opposing Goblin Shaman. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some some stuff that you can uh, you can experiment with. What do you think now that this deck is like probably firmly on people's radar um, that people could do to maybe combat potential targeting of this deck? So you mean if if you're playing creativity, yeah. what do you do to to next level people? Yeah, have you know transformative sideboard or alternate targets um is a good idea because you you're probably right that people will find ways to not just die to a world spine worm attacking anymore uh so i gotta say that i did see some of the creativity for a atraxa on coverage this weekend when i was doing coverage of our rcq um not not in this version but in modern and funnily enough their opponent had a um 
a Turok in play. And because they didn't realize that they could fail to find with the Atraxa, they actually had to discard the hand size and died on the crackback uh, oh. Oh, no. <laughs> in the finals. Wow. It, was, it was great. All right. Well, tips and tricks. There you go. Yeah. Fail, failed to find with the Traxa. It probably won't come up in uh, in this format, but I did think it was funny to to mention. Let's let's go into our Patreon questions really quick. Read. Um, our first question comes from Doug Barry, and he says, "What was the sequence of events that led you to registering creativity?" You kind of talked about that a little bit, but um, what uh, his follow up is? What what angle were you looking to attack from? Yeah, so just pretty pretty normal testing process in terms of trying out a lot of decks and and eventually getting to day of deck submission, having to pick one. Uh, the 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 thing that I would say is special about this this pro tour is I just thought it was going to be a very diverse field. Which what that means is if you're playing a tournament, like let's say you're playing a standard tournament, and you say, oh, it's going to be the field's going to be forty percent Grixis. That's like a problem-solving exercise where you can try to find cards and strategies that are really effective against Grixis, and that can give you an advantage. But in a world where there's going to be 20 different decks, all between you know 5 and 10% of the, the field, it's just not really worth it to do that. Like Even if we could build some deck that's amazingly good against Mono Green Devotion, it's not even clear that that's what we should be doing. So... In, in that sense, it, it was more about, like, let's just find the best deck that we can find, period, the end. And, um, yeah, we weren't really trying to to necessarily, like, level the metagame because I didn't think there was going to be any clear metagame trends to to level, <laughs> to be on the cutting edge of. I think it's just yeah, pioneer, it, super diverse. It almost feels like the that modern format uh, that, you know, you popularized Jun so much in, uh, where, like, it's a very diverse field. There's a lot of different points of en- points of engagement. And yeah, I like really what you said of, you know, it may tur- one, one of them is a problem-solving exercise. And this is more like just, uh, you know, team Mason, what do you call it? Team, team viable... Team decks. reasonable decks. Team reasonable, reasonable deck decks. gamer. Yeah. <laughs> Be a reasonable deck gamer. And uh you your team came with something that I think uh it didn't necessarily level the field, but that people were not expecting. Um, while also just being a team reasonable deck. Yeah, it was kind of a nice spot because I think if you polled most Pro Tour competitors what decks are gonna be popular, you'd get a lot of the same answers like, oh, Gruel, Rakdos, Mono Green, Mono White, um, and creativity wasn't like a unknown quantity. I don't think people were were looking at my deck list and going like, "Oh, I can't believe this. I've never seen this combo before." It wasn't like that, but it was low enough down the list that people weren't making their deck choices or their sideboard choices with the goal of beating creativity. So, so you know, you you get um, a little bit of leeway there you uh already answered mikey's question of what other teams were in your the wheelhouse and choices for the pro tour is there any that we didn't mention um we had some some people that liked phoenix we had some people that liked blue white uh and i think a lot of that stuff contributed to finally ending up on creativity you know creativity and phoenix have a lot of overlap in terms of the way they approach at least the early turns of the game 
and developing the whole breaker horror sideboard plan came from practicing against blue white control. So yeah, I mean, we we kind of tried out everything. Had 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 one or two people that liked almost every different deck in the format. Um, but this yeah. last question comes from Donnie, and uh, I have to say that it's my favorite question. Uh, how much would you say your level one course still holds up to ma modern magic theory? And I want before you answer this, Reed, I need you to know that in magic coaching, I use level one in in coaching so you, you oh, i'd love say, to hear that i can't say anything bad about it because like i literally use it in my magic coaching <laughs> great stuff um yeah so level one uh for those who don't know is a i wrote it i think 2014 sounds about right so wow almost 10 years ago and the, the my assignment was write everything that a magic player needs to know to go from like knowing the rules of the game to being able to you know, win a PTQ or something, be, be, be a, a successful tournament player. And uh, it was designed at the time to, to stand the test of time, to not be unique to any like format or set or metagame. So I think it stands up pretty well, especially it's level one, right? So you, we're, we're, we're talking about the basic foundational stuff that you need to know to be a successful magic player stuff like have a good mana curve and creatures are important in sealed deck and stuff like that and i'm not you know it's 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 of course deeper than than this and it's it's many 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 articles long um but yeah a lot of that stuff holds true and it's this course is not going to tell you what you should play in your modern tournament on Saturday, but it's going to give you like everything you need to just be a solid, well-rounded magic player. And then you can go from there. Awesome. That's great to hear. I'm sure a bunch of people are going to do that. I have one quick question for you that read that it's been coming up a lot recently with players. And I'm curious, cause you've been doing this grind and you mentioned how long it took for you to get to the pro tour. So I'm really here interested to hear if you have any thoughts on this. A lot of people are really feeling the grind and the burnt out from the RC. And like, once you mm -hmm. fall off the RC, uh, out of, if you get to the pro tour and you don't like, you know, re you're sort of back to square one in a way, you have to get back to the RC. What would be your words to tell people who really want that to be something that they want to do? They really want to make it to the pro tour and they're dedicated, but they're having some issues right now. And they're sort of in a rough patch. What would you tell that person? First of all, I, I, I hear you. I feel you, <laughs> you know, I've been there and I know that it's, very, very, very tough and very, very, very frustrating. So just be patient with yourself and don't expect everything to come all at once. Um, a couple of, I think, tips for sort of like your sanity and your mental health and your enjoyment of the process. Number one, you don't have to be, you don't have to play every pro tour. You don't have to suddenly go from zero to like, I am the, I am a top level pro playing every single pro tour. First of all, we don't even know if that exists anymore. Like there's not a way to just guarantee that, that you're playing all the pro tours. So if you can make one pro tour, that is a goal in itself. That is an awesome accomplishment and you should be really happy and proud. Similarly, for some people, like just getting to go play the regional championship and compete against great players at a high level, like that's a totally sweet experience. That can be an end game for people and that's totally cool um so keep that in mind don't expect everything all at once and then make sure that you are 
you're playing like when you're enjoying playing and not because you feel that it's a compulsion you're burning out you're getting sick of it you feel you feel like you have to play every single weekend like the the system is designed so that you can you can play when you want to play take breaks when you want to play and just treat the tournaments as a self-contained event of course you want to do your best job but that's it you know you show up and it's it's not the end of the world whatever your result is yeah, I feel like Magic players have a real problem when they like feel like they're leaving value on the table like by skipping an RCQ. And mm. I just think that your mental health is worth more than playing every RCQ available to you. Yeah, I, I call that the, the hamster wheel. Like, find a way to get off the hamster wheel because you need to do this check of, am I actually enjoying what I'm doing? Is it serving me? Am I learning and growing as a player? Or am I just banging my head against the wall and you know, not, not getting anywhere because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. So just do that, that periodic, like sanity check. Abe, do you have any additional questions for Reed? Yeah. Um, my question is kind of outside the scope of this PT, but, um, you know, something that we do a lot on the show and we talk about are always improving, which is really the point of our show, um, is to help people in improving. We talk a lot about experiences from outside of playing magic that have really helped form our game, either be through other games at times or through work or through just life experiences that really have helped us improve in the way that we approach competing. Um, what would you say is something outside of obviously your very, very deep magic history that has really given you a, a piece of that skill set and those tools that you use to have the successful career that you have, obviously being a Hall of Famer and uh, now a Pro Tour champion? Yeah, is, did, did working for a jeweler teach you anything about magic? <laughs> uh well attention to detail for sure like everything the way i play magic is i i tell myself that every choice i make matters you know and and a lot of people don't have that mindset it's like oh first couple turns i'm playing lands that's easy it's the same every game right no not right like you should be thoughtful about your land drops whether you choose to play your island or your mountain on turn one can can definitely matter and if you treat every decision like it matters, then you will make a higher percentage of your of your plays correctly and avoid, you know, boneheaded errors. Um, it, it's a really deep question, the, the one that Abe asked. I mean, the the thing that comes to mind for me is uh, pacing when I play a game of Magic, and this comes from basically any high pressure situation you can face in life whether it be you know public speaking or dealing with an emergency or or whatever whatever it might be um you know athletics other types of competition the thing is like don't panic like you're you're going to you're going to feel overwhelmed and you're just going to like have this this uh this pressure that you're going to like freeze up and you just have to not do that. You just have to like, be like, breathe, you know, I'm feeling the pressure, but it's okay because I, I know how to operate under this pressure. And the way that manifests in a game of magic is I, I try to do consistent pacing where I am not rushing. I'm not reacting with like fear or worry when something bad happens or when I make a mistake, it's just, you know, the, the more you feel it, the more pressure you feel, the more nervous you get, the more it's worth it to just take that extra moment and like recenter yourself and and uh, move forward and execute the best you can. 
That's really good advice. I don't feel like a lot of the mental is talked about in Magic compared to like some other esports and things like that. And I, you you now have given me uh, a question, which is how can somebody work on their mental in Magic compared to other games? Yeah, good question. Um, I want to be careful not to overstep on this one because everyone is different and some people have like just different set of challenges where, you know, may, maybe like talking to a therapist is, is appropriate for, for getting through some, some, some of the things that people are dealing with. But I would say in general, um, be tough on yourself, but not like don't hate yourself don't be mean to yourself just be tough on yourself expect a lot put yourself a little bit outside your comfort zone so if you're if you're having this experience where you're like look i i'm one and two i'm really disappointed i'm not having fun i want to just drop and go home like that can be an opportunity where you're like i'm going to i'm just going to i'm just going to force myself to be outside my comfort zone and play my best in conditions that are not necessarily what I was hoping for. And let's finish out this day and, and do our best. And maybe, maybe by the end of the day, you have something to be proud of. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, just sort of like all, all the, the techniques that I, that people would use for mental toughness, um, like pushing yourself a little beyond what you're comfortable with, but not so far that you're panicking or, or shutting down. And um, yeah, honest, honest introspection in, in terms of, of what's going on in the games. That's awesome. Keyword honest there. I know that I have certainly fallen into the trap of being a little too hard on myself and like caring too much about a land drop that maybe didn't matter in, in the grand scheme of things. So uh, Reed, I just want to say thank you so much for your time uh, and congratulations again. Uh, I know that, you know, I'll be rooting really hard for you at Worlds. Um, I, I'm excited. I'm excited for Paper Magic to be back, and I just really appreciate you jumping on with us and and uh, gracing us with a Pro Tour champion. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, it's great, great chatting with you guys. I really appreciate um, you know thinking of me as a guest on your show. And yeah, thanks for the good luck wishes at Worlds. I'll, I'll be I'll be looking forward to that one too. Awesome. Well, that is going to do it for our interview with Reed, and we'll be back uh, for the rest of this episode of Constructed Criticism. Dude, that was awesome. I loved having Reed on. Yeah, it was great to have someone like him come on. And also, you know, he's so busy, he's been guessing on a bunch of stuff. And so uh, thank you so much, Reed, for coming on and taking the time with us. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm sure that, like, I remember when I won my, my PPQ and, like, I had, like, you know, a couple thousand, you know, notifications in, like, a few hours. And, like, my phone was, like, I thought my phone was on fire, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I can't imagine you know, being the person that most of the people were rooting for at the Pro Tour and then winning it, it must have been intense. So, um, any any takeaways that you guys had from that interview that you wanted to, to mention really quick before we talk about the YouTube comment? No? I, I have one. I just think that it was really cool for him to talk about the mental game the way that he did and his approach to this very dedicated methodical mental game. Um, I think it's really hard in magic to not let your emotions get in the way sometimes. And I really appreciated his advice on that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely thinking about what he said about 
kind of the intangibles that drew him into creativity in terms of like my own deck selection for you know events of the right field where it, it felt like in all the decks that he talked about he was kind of averse to ones that didn't have that capability for um for like those not not like free wins but you know it's it's like mason said about parmesan you got to have a little bit of an maybe not an unfair element but a proactive enough game plan that's gonna gonna be able to to win a game quickly and get those wins that are that are earned by the power of your deck but also you know balancing that out with agency and how especially at a field like the pro tour you know agency is worth a lot less than the power level because you're going to be playing against people who it's going to be a lot harder to be agent over so mm -hmm. oh i really like the way you said that awesome um so we no patron no additional patron questions we did more than this week than we typically do um uh, just want to give a shout out to our patrons who are able to ask read questions it's really cool that when we get a, a guest like that on right like this hall of famer just want a pro tour that you know we give we give our patrons the opportunity first so if you want to do that head over to patreon.com slash cmtg become a patron of five dollars or more so that you can join the discord to get access to that those questions um our youtube comment actually was for abe i've already answered this but i wanted to say it on the show too uh it was talking about an article by patrick chapin but i can't catch the title of it what's the title it's not, uh, it's not i'm not talking about any specific it, it was yeah article. Patrick Chapman article this is actually his book next level magic um i think that they might have published portions of it on star city way back in the day like certain pieces of it um but it really does read like a 300 page patrick chapin article if that's even how long the book is like 200 pages or something I, um, it, it, it is 300 plus um i actually because of you abe i actually went and dug up my pdf of this book to read on mondays um because monday is like my reading day so I would just want to thank you, like not only to the listeners to be checking this out, but like you reminded me of this like amazing piece of magic content that got created. Yeah, I, I've read it, I think two, well, I've read it three times in my life. The first time I read it and then two rereads. Um, and I feel like it really, um, there's always something new I get out of it. That's like maybe something I had already taken and internalized, but like thinking about it and reflecting on those things that he brings up, he really is like, he goes into a lot of depth about how to approach thinking about the game. And when you really think on those things, it can be a really good catalyst for improvement. And so, yeah, I would definitely say, even if you're a little averse to, uh, I don't know if you can find the PDF out there, but it is, it is a long, a long read, but it's worth the, worth the investment of finding a copy and, and getting into it. Yeah. They, they still sell, sell them. I have one on my nightstand. I was so. going to say they have hard, hard covers, don't they? They have hardcovers now? Oh, I, I, I have a paperback. paperback. Yeah. Oh, do they yeah. only have paperbacks? Uh, it, it, this reminds me, though, something you just said, Abe, about just the reread of this. It's actually one of the reasons that like I'll go and read Level 1 by Reduke every year. Because I know what's in that, right? But it's like, it's, it is that moment of self, like, am I still doing this? Like, is this something I have let slip uh, within that Level 1 uh, document uh, or documents that uh, I, I give, uh, that's what I coach people to. I'm like, listen, you probably know everything that's in here, but what you'll find is while you're reading it, you'll, you'll have a moment of clarity. And I think the next level magic did that for me the first time I read it, where I was like, you know what? I used to be good at this thing and I definitely don't even do it anymore because I didn't find it important. And it's, it's, it gives you a lot of knobs to turn to be always improving. 
So maybe. Uh, if you want to check out the rest of the Constructivism Network, you can check out Sam Black's podcast. It'll actually go up uh, shortly after we're done recording today. Um, he does a podcast every week on different archetypes in draft. That's drafting archetypes, uh, as well as some new uh, Mythic Michaela and I will be talking to Yeoman5 this week about Mono Red in Standard and his challenge. Uh, I think he took second, right? Uh, split. Uh, he split the finals. Split the finals, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, leave us a like, a sub, or a review, or a comment. It really helps out the show right now. Uh, one of the best ways, things that you can do, like, you're like, oh man, I wish I could support these guys on Patreon. I don't have the funds right now. The economy be whack, folks. Leaving a review is a great way to help the show, and it would mean a lot to us. Abe, if people want to find you, where can they do that? I think I'm over at twitter.com slash more nothings. Um, you know, all my thoughts about magic usually wind up there at this point. Uh, I, my DMs are also available for coaching, and uh, I also have more nothings at gmail.com. This is the first time I'm be plugging this here, where you can just email me if you want to set up something about coaching, because after hearing you guys talk about how there's probably a bunch of people who don't necessarily have a Twitter, and I found that there was someone who I'm going to reply to after the show who got filtered into the the secret DM request mm-hmm. beyond DM requests, the third level of DM request hell. Uh, I, get that I don't want to have that happen to anyone again. I got that on Facebook for coaching as well, so it's just rough. Yeah, so so either DM me on Twitter, you know, it's always a great way to get in contact with my DMs are open, um, but also if it's easier for you to send me an email, email at morenothings at gmail.com, we can set up a time for you and we can uh, just get into improving your game, so. Yeah, you can find me at Spencer13H on Twitter. You can find me every week on the Need to Nerd podcast where we talk about the things that we love in nerddom every month with Mick and Michaela on Mythicast where we talk about things that you need to do to be ready for battle uh, in the world of MPG Arena. Uh, as well as, you know, hit me up at spencerhowland at gmail.com if you want to do coaching. I have a couple slots available right now. Um, I really focus on the first session is usually half off and um, just want to be able to give people like an understanding of like, here's the type of things that I think that you could work on. Is this in line with what you were thinking coaching was going to be like? Because I think that different coaches have different styles and it's really interesting to uh, hear what people expect out of a coaching, uh, out of a coach versus maybe you know, what I, what I'm offering in it. And I want to make sure that I'm the right fit for you. It's not just about, um, it's not just about me making money. I want, I want to help people in a way that actually, uh, aligns with what they're looking for as well. Um, Mason, what about you? Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me on twitch.tv at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. Uh, if you're interested in coaching, it is something I'm doing full time now, which means I have a lot of hours available. Uh, feel free to reach out to me anywhere. Like we just mentioned before, we can also reach out to me and email masonyclark at gmail.com. We can talk about it and see if I'm the right fit for you. Uh, and finally, you can find me over at Card Kingdom each and every week writing an article this week all about standard gaming for the RCs. Y'all know that the first RCs are actually next weekend for the whole Canadian Brazilian friends. So we're going to have a lot of results here in two weeks to go over to help y'all get ready for the next round of standard RCs in the States, which is very exciting. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening this week. And honestly, it was so nice to be here with Abe and Mason again. I texted this to you guys, but I, I love you too. I'm so happy to get to do this podcast with you guys. You guys are uh, a very important part of my magic family, and I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Same with you. All Thanks right. all the listeners for making it happen, too. So Yeah, for real. All right, we'll see you guys all next week with another episode of Constructed Crew.